ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Jetties are a focal point for coastal communities and towns all around the country. Locals and visitors are drawn to them. They support fishing, boating, swimming, tourism and more. But many of Australia's jetties are ageing. Well, the community's disappointed. You know, we've had two years, with two summers with the jetty closed. It's starting to hurt. It's hurting the town financially. It's hurting the social fabric, the well-being of the town. Soon we'll head to South Australia, where local governments are calling for more state government funding to maintain and repair their crumbling jetties. We know that over 800 full-time jobs around South Australia are also connected to these 75 marine assets, and that's why we believe they're important and we need to work collaboratively and keep working collaboratively with the South Australian Government to make sure we get a solution so we don't see like we've seen here at Port Germain where we start to see part of these assets closed and probably sadly we'll see the entirety of these assets closed in due course. I'm Alex Simon and this is Australia Wide. Coming to you from Wadjuk Country, Perth. We start in Ballarat where the heartbroken husband and daughter of missing Victorian woman Samantha Murphy have spoken out as the search for the 51-year-old mother of three continues, now into its fifth day. Samantha Murphy failed to return to her home in Ballarat after going out on her morning run on Sunday. Police today have also spoken to the media appealing to the public for assistance, especially in relation to video footage. Reporter Laura Mayers is in Ballarat and has been following this story all week. Laura, what has the family of Samantha Murphy said today? Yeah, so Ms Murphy's eldest daughter, uh, Jess, spoke alongside her father, Mick, and just made this heartfelt thank you to the community for really rallying around her her family and for joining in this enormous uh, search. As she spoke of just how strong her mum is and how she hoped to see her soon, uh, they understandably are just absolutely so distressed and so worried about Samantha. Uh, her husband, Nick Murphy, said they do remain hopeful and are just, again, so in awe of this community response. We are overwhelmed by the help of the public and the community for what they, you know, the way they've all formed together. And uh, come together as a unit to help us look for Sam and her, and her, and her disappearance. Mum's a really strong woman and she's far too determined to give up this fight. I know she's out there somewhere, so if you could please continue to search for her to give us something to work with, we'd really appreciate it. People just don't vanish into thin air. Someone's uh, got to know something, you know, whether it be any little thing that you might think's relevant, just call the police, let them know, you know, um, it'll give us a bit of peace of mind if we get some some hope from someone, and uh, yeah, just, um, we just like to, re- yeah, if you can respect our privacy as well at home, whatnot, you know, um, if we've got something, we'll, we'll, we'll come out and say it and you'll be advised. That's the husband of missing Ballarat woman, Samantha Murphy. That was Mick Murphy there addressing the media earlier today. And uh, Laura, what is the latest from the police investigation? 
unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's been much that's actually been revealed to us today, despite that extensive investigation and search, which, you know, as you said, has been going for five days now. So that search is continuing and they are still expected to continue tomorrow at this stage. Uh, the search area has obviously been enormous and that's throughout the Wawukarung Regional Park and the suburbs surrounding in Ballarat. They have reiterated again just that initial information. Ms Murphy disappeared from her home on Sunday morning about 7am from Ballarat East and she's just not been seen since. And Laura, Acting Inspector Lisa McDougall, uh, she's the area commander for the Ballarat region. What did she have to say today? I understand there was a bit of a focus on getting uh, some footage from the public if they may have anything at all. Yeah, so for context, you know, sort of the area where she was last seen is uh, quite residential. So, yeah, as you said, they are really looking for that CCTV. Uh, Acting Inspector Lisa McDougall, she did say that investigators are considering all possibilities in this ongoing search. No suspicious circumstances that they've identified at this stage. So police are really keeping an open mind as, you know, it really is out of character uh, that for Samantha to disappear like this. She was familiar with the trails that she intended to run on and she, uh, she ran and she walked on them in the area daily. So police have again appealed for anyone with dash cam or CCTV footage from the search areas to please come forward to get in contact to help them with that investigation. What we really want to appeal to everyone today for is footage that they may have from their residence or from their dash cam uh, from that period of time from 7am on Sunday morning through to the hours of about 11am. Uh, we would like the community to not make any decisions about what is or isn't relevant. Um, certainly if they find anything of interest on the footage, we'd like them to let police know that. And the most efficient way to let police know what they've found is via Crime Stoppers. Today, we have continued the ground search uh, in relation to Samantha. We have 40 resources on the ground at the moment and they are both Vicpol resources and CFA and SES. So our partner agencies are assisting us greatly with the search. That's Acting Inspector Lisa McDougall, the Area Commander for Ballarat, speaking to the media earlier today. And Laura, she mentioned the resources that they're using in this search. What are authorities and those involved in the search doing today? Yeah, so I've been out, out, you know, out and about on the ground. Uh, investigators are continuing those line searches on foot, looking for anything that might be of significance. So those investigators are focusing the search on the Ballarat East, Canadian and Mount Helen areas, uh, east of Geelong Road, looking for any signs of Ms Murphy, including for her iPhone, Apple Watch or uh, Earpods, which they still haven't be reco been recovered. We understand she took those with her on her run. Um, and the previous search areas uh, over the past couple of days have included Bunanyong, Scotchman's Lead, Black Hill, Brown Hill and Narina. But it looks like those have actually been ruled out as areas of interest. And how is the Ballarat community responding to this situation? Uh, it's one of those horrible situations that is simultaneously so touching where you see such a strong community response. I'm talking dozens, if not hundreds of people from this area, you know, going out to join in the search off their own back in full, uh, full sun. Uh, it seems like there's no one who's not being affected 
in one way or another by Samantha Murphy's disappearance. Uh, we saw line searches happening all over the Ballarat East and Warren Hip areas, people out on foot. So the community's really remaining hopeful that we will hear some news of Samantha Murphy soon. Our reporter in Ballarat is Laura Mayers. Laura, thanks so much for bringing us up to date here on Australia Wide. Thanks. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio. Jetties are a focal point for coastal communities all around the country. They support fishing, boating, swimming, tourism and more. But many of Australia's jetties are ageing. In South Australia, local governments are calling for more state government funding to maintain and repair crumbling jetties. Several councils argue they don't have the money to safeguard the future of the jetties, which they say are vital for these regional communities and towns. Isabella Carboni has this story. All right, ready? Tumby Bay residents are jumping off their beloved community jetty, a common summer pastime for visitors and residents of this town along the coastline of South Australia's Eyre Peninsula. The water is bright blue on the horizon and clear as it softly laps on the sandy shore. The idyllic atmosphere is punctuated by the excited squeals of children and splashes down in the sea. It was the first time locals had the opportunity to jump off their jetty in more than 18 months. To do so, they had to climb around the barricades fencing off their popular jetty, which has been closed for two summers due to structural issues and safety concerns. It was a protest, with residents demanding action be taken to restore a dilapidated community icon. The ageing jetty needs millions of dollars of structural work to be made safe again, a cost the local council can't afford. But local Dion Lebron says the town is feeling the pain. Well, the community's disappointed. You know, we've had two years with two summers with the jetty closed. It's starting to hurt. It's hurting the town financially. It's hurting the social fabric, the well-being of the town. Tumby Bay is far from the only location in the state facing big costs to maintain crumbling jetties. In the small Spencer Gulf town of Port Germain, the town's historic wooden jetty is the main tourist attraction. The heritage-listed jetty was partially closed three years ago due to compromised structural integrity, and the District Council of Mount Remarkable Chief Executive Officer Sam Johnson fears it will be closed entirely if urgent repair works are not funded. We know that over 800 full-time jobs around South Australia are also connected to these 75 marine assets, and that's why we believe they're important, and we need to work collaboratively and keep working collaboratively with the South Australian Government to make sure we get a solution so we don't see, like we've seen here at Port Germain, where we start to see part of these assets closed and probably sadly we'll see the entirety of these assets closed in due course. There are 75 state-owned jetties in South Australia. 35 of them are leased to local governments, leaving those councils responsible to pay for any maintenance works. One of the key challenges facing councils in regional areas with a lower population is a limited rate pay base, generating less revenue to fix these costly structures. The challenge is it's beyond us as a council to be able to put that sort of investment into these things. Um, you know, the, any work that's done on the marine is very expensive. It's specialised resources and people and skills, etc. It's all high cost um, and then tidal obviously has impacts and those things. So it, it's a reasonable investment straight up to be able to get the jetty to a point where it's once again sustainable because at this point in time it, time, it is a continuing deterioration and it's accelerating. That was Stephen McCarthy, the local mayor. 
Dean Johnson is the president of the Local Government Association of South Australia and he wants the state government to come to the table with a long-term solution to safeguard the future of South Australian jetties. So these state jetties are leased to council. So um, in much the same way that if you rent a house, you might uh, change the light bulbs or do some minor repairs, uh, the actual owner of the property should be paying for the structural repairs and overall maintenance for those um, pieces of infrastructure. While councils argue it's not enough, the state government says it has already put money on the table. Infrastructure and Transport Minister Tom Coutsantonis says their government has allocated $20 million over four years to go towards jetty renewal. These councils um, know that jetties are the lifeblood of regional communities. Before we came to office, there was no money for regional jetties. What we've done is put $20 million in over the next four years and are asking for matching funds, which should take that entire spend for jetties across South Australia for infrastructure upgrades and maintenance to over $40 million. That's more than they've had over the last four years of the previous government. But it's brought little comfort for communities like Tumby Bay with closed jetties facing repair, renewal or replacement costs in the millions to reopen their beloved jetties. That story from our reporter in Port Pirie, Isabella Carboni. One of the questions was, Dane, do you, do you remember when Grandad tipped the back over out at the ball? ABC Australia Wide. And it was like, duh, duh. I thought, okie doke, that thing works. On ABC Radio. It's been a disrupted start to school for some students in far west New South Wales. After the discovery of mould at their school forced the Department of Education to close the building. More than 600 students and staff will be relocated to other schools in the area for at least Term 1. Parents at Williamma High School are concerned that their children will face added stresses this year, another hurdle for the students having already studied through the COVID-19 pandemic. Coca Connor in Broken Hill has this story. More than 600 students and staff of Broken Hills Williamma High School were back in the classroom for their first day of the 2024 school year today, but not in their usual location. Instead, classes have been moved to alternate venues spread out across other schools in the regional city. The Williamma High School has been closed indefinitely after mould was discovered on the site. The Department of Education says the mould outbreak is so extensive and dangerous that nobody is allowed on school grounds. The issue is causing concern around the school community, with parents worried about the impact on their children's future learning, especially for those studying their HSC. One parent, who spoke to the ABC but wanted to remain anonymous, said after disruptions caused by COVID-19, it felt like another roadblock had been put in his child's way. My eldest, he was despaired because he's in a start going to year 11, and uh, this was his year. This was going to be his year. He went with a positive outlook. He had a bit of trouble through school with a few bullies and uh, they weren't going to be in his year this year. And uh, he, he was in a positive outlook. And now he's thinking he's, he's lost his comfort, comfort zone, if there was one. Um, he feels like it's going to be very hard. But a mental health professional believes it could be an opportunity for students to learn coping mechanisms. Dr Emma Burns is a senior lecturer at Macquarie University in Sydney and specialises in children's psychology. She says if students are properly informed and given a safe space to talk about their frustrations, they may come out better off. We know that students who are able to navigate 
stressful situations, change, surprise, well, they tend to have better outcomes in the long run. So what's really important to think about now is how we support students during this time so that they start to build a lot of really great resilience and coping strategies that will support them down the track when other surprising things happen to them. Broken Hill Mayor Tom Kennedy is worried about the impact of the disruption on the community. What we need to understand though is any any interruption to their education does affect their education. Uh, that needs to be taken into account when kids get ATARs or uh, marks in their uh, tests, uh, that this impact on top of COVID definitely will affect their education. For now, the community of Broken Hill is trying to stay positive, and this concerned parent says they're trying to take it in their stride. Kids, keep your heads up. What doesn't kill you make you stronger, mould included. So school kids have got to go forward, let's not just lose them on the wayside. The New South Wales Premier Chris Minns said in a press conference this week that an investigation is ongoing into what caused the mould outbreak. In a school update, parents were told likely causes could have been carpet cleaning, heat and humidity. Coca-Cola Connor reporting there from Broken Hill in the far west of New South Wales. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. You are on Australia Wide with me, Alex Hyman. It's great to have your company. And remember, you can always email the program. We love to hear what's happening in your part of the world. Australiawide.radio at abc.net.au. That's australiawide.radio at abc.net.au. Southern WA's drying climate and hot summers have prompted authorities to find new ways to reduce evaporation from town drinking water dams. Four small rural communities in the state's great southern region have become the first to trial an innovative and inexpensive solution to losing precious water. Albany reporter Mark Bennett has this story. Martin Pierce is literally under the pump. His summer has been hectic. It's probably about 30% up because the season dried off so quickly. Answering daily calls for water from south coast residents whose tanks have run low. And you hate to see them without water. With the kids, there's no showers, no toilets, so you try and try and keep them going. Even on the normally wet south coast of Western Australia, it's unusually dry. People saying they've only had 10 mils since the middle of November. Roger Bradshaw's rainwater tanks are running low. Out here, this has probably been as, as dry as we've seen it in our time down here. So we've just had another load of water brought in. Since the beginning of spring, the Southwest Land Division has received approximately half its average spring and summer rainfall. Roger's hoping the weather gods will come through. I don't know how to rain dance, but if I did know how to do a rain dance, I'd do it. But with Western Australia's southwest rainfall declining by 20% over the last 50 years, scientists have developed a simple solution to save dam water evaporation. They're about 20 uh, or so centimetres in diameter um, and they're made of 100% recycled plastic. Simone McGurk is WA's water minister. We basically place them, thousands of them, on the top of the dam and they've found in trials that they can reduce uh, evaporation by about 70%. So it's a huge contribution uh, to reducing um, not only evaporation but also any sort of contamination on the water in dams. The tiny township of Wellstead, east of Albany, started trialling the device three years ago. Towns that normally have water carted to them in summer have benefited from the $2.8 million project. Traditionally, there have been a number of towns where 
cutting has been a summer event. Is that expanded much? So at this stage we've uh, we've been cutting some water into Ravensall. Andrew Stewart at Watercorp coordinated the rollout of the hexa covers. And we are cutting water into to salmon gums because of the impact of that uh, that drying weather and less water in the dam. Um, but at this stage, what we're starting to see is demand in our interconnected schemes as well. So certainly around Lake Grace and Utigate as an example, we're seeing you know, a similar pattern of de- demand to what we saw uh, in the last really you know, significant event, which was sort of 2019-2020. And we're starting to see those similar sorts of demand you know, on the network, and that's starting to have a, an impact. So we're having to put in place measures to, to make sure we can continue to supply customers. Other towns suffering from low rainfall could also see the hexa cover deployed in coming years, with no rainfall on the southwest horizon and hot weather ahead, saving every drop has become a priority. Have you adjusted to use of water? You'd be a lot more conscious of your use this season? I think so, yeah. I think that's we've just had a, a daughter who's coming to live with us after being in Victoria for seven years, and we've noticed the water supply is starting to... Uh, <laughs> there's a direct correlation between the return and how much water we're using. So um, we'll just do what we have to do to top it up um, to meet our family's needs. That was Roger Bradshaw ending that story from Albany reporter Mark Bennett. All around the country, you're on ABC Australia-wide. I eat corn sometimes and my mum cooks it in the oven. Well, Charles, how much rain did we have? He said, no, none. I said, you're mad, man. ABC Australia-wide. Because I came from Wynyard area where it rains and rains and rains. And when it's not raining, it's raining more. On ABC Radio. And finally here on Australia-wide, I'd like to introduce you to Charlie Smith. And remember his name because I suspect he could one day be the next big entrepreneur. Charlie might only be seven years old, but he is already selling sunflower stems at his family's farm at Manjimup in WA Southwest. Kate Forrester caught up with this budding businessman. I'm growing one tree in sunflowers one day because it makes people happy for their birthday. It makes the day shine. Charlie might be young, but he's got a blooming business, growing sunflowers on his family's farm. Um, I water them with my sprinklers and look after them and make them pretty. I do it on my own. After harvest, the flowers are sent straight to their retail shop front, which is conveniently located in Charlie's driveway. We cut the sunflowers and then put it in the sunflower shed. It looks like a little shed and it has uh, like a money box and you put money in there and then, then I take it to buy stuff. The business has given Charlie a glimpse of life working his parents' potato farm. It was his dad's idea. All right, mate, so before you jump on the tractor, we might go and start the pumps, eh, and give you sunflowers a bit of water. I was actually given some sunflower seed last year, and uh, I thought it would be interesting if he'd, uh, if he'd plant them himself and, uh, and watch them grow, and he's really blossomed with it. At the moment, he's probably got about 100 square metres there, I suppose, of, uh, of sunflowers this year, but um, he's definitely keen to grow on that. I think it's very important to encourage your kids from a young age. They, uh, they certainly do take in everything that you, you talk about and say, so they're like a sponge. It makes me happy to see him happy and, and doing what he loves doing.
The feedback we have had from him selling his sunflowers is it definitely does brighten people's day. Um, we actually have had the management hospital um, come and grab some and it, the uh, receptionist said it really brightens people's day you know, when they're coming in and out in the hospital. I want to make more money and I want to make more sunflowers. What do you think you might spend your money on, what you make from the sunflowers? What do you think you'll spend your pocket money on? On lollies, milkshake and chicken treat. That's seven-year-old business entrepreneur Charlie Smith speaking to Kate Forrester. If you search ABC Sunflower Boy, you'll be able to see Charlie with Kate. And it will also make it easy for you to hear other feel-good stories on the ABC Listen app. And that is Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Alex Hyman. Remember, you can podcast the show, listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app. We certainly suggest that you do. It's the best way to hear the program. Or, of course, you can visit the Australia Wide website. Just search for ABC Australia Wide. Thanks again for your company today. I'll be back again with you tomorrow. Hope you can join me then. Have a wonderful evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.